I have some copies of a little booklet called Amazing Grace down at the front. Reflections from uh, the organization. Uh, well, anyway, I got these booklets. We've used them at the church, our daily bread. And so if you would like to get one of those copies, they're down here and available for you. And uh, after all, Amazing Grace is the theme of everything we talk about and realize uh, in our lives today and reflecting upon uh, things that are going on uh, in our church life and the celebration of Easter this week. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks to Dean Atterbury for that warm introduction. And uh, he doesn't remember it so well, but I remember when I went to make my pastoral visit to the home, uh, his father had come to be a professor of agriculture. Agri, as they called it, back in those days at South Arkansas, Southern State, South Arkansas University. Uh, he was sitting on the floor in his diaper. <laughs> I've got that metal picture, see? <laughs> Dean Atterbury in the diaper when we first met. So we go back a ways. Uh, my thanks to the faculty and staff and guests and most of all, you who are students of this great center of learning biblical truth. And that is the reason I hope that you're here. I recognize my great friend, Dr. Edmund Crank, who has come to visit today, uh, who's been around this seminary a long time also. Today is the first full day of the Passover season for the Jews. Actually began, if you look at some calendars, they say Monday, some say Tuesday, secular calendars actually began at sundown yesterday. Now, that remembrance goes back to the deliverance out of the slavery of Egypt. And God said, I want you to commemorate it by a Passover season, and thereby you will remember uh, this, and your children will be taught and uh, give to them an example. Now then, uh, Dr. Atterbury and I were discussing this morning, I've been thinking about this week, about Passover, uh, the most important element of Passover, I'm glad I don't eat the bitter herbs and, and uh, the garlic. Uh, I'm glad that ne- uh, Jesus narrowed it down to the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Uh, and we do that in the Lord's Supper. But I do not find anywhere in the early church after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the beginning of the church that the church celebrated the Passover. But they did celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, following the example that Jesus had given to them until I come again. Let me share with you three things about the number 60 to begin with in my introduction this morning. Now you've noticed the little sign out front that this is the 60th anniversary of this great institution. 60th anniversary. Uh... Secondly, a number 60, President Paul White uh, of the BMA of America sent out letters and he wanted names and pictures of men who have been in the ministry for 60 years or more. I don't know how he arrived at that, but he did. And they are to be recognized at the annual meeting next month in Arlington. I sent him a copy. He didn't ask for it, but I sent him a copy of my license and a copy of my ordination. Because 
I was licensed at the age of 11 on June 1949 by the First Baptist Church in Grand Saline. 60 years in June. And ordained in April uh, 1958 by the First Baptist Church here in Jacksonville early in that month. And uh, that's 59 years and counting. And, uh, and so I knew that uh, I would need to prove the fact that I had been in the ministry for 60 years because I looked so young, so they would have a hard time figuring all that out. So along with that uh, deal, I sent them a, a picture of my high school senior year. So to go along with that. So that was good, I think. And, uh, uh, and so the third 60, I came to this campus in 1960. Uh, they had built student housing for the first time down here on, on the front. And in the middle were two duplexes. Some of you may live on the one on this side, and I'm not sure what direction that is. Uh, but my wife and I and my three-month-old son initiated that department in 1960 when we came here in that fall. Uh, so uh, 60 has some significance for all of us today. I am referring you to a scripture that is used often at funerals, Psalm 90. But it also is a psalm that I want to speak to you about in, in uh, my thoughts about my life and uh, point some things out to you about life in general. Psalm 90 is a psalm written by Moses. Moses makes some statements in here, you know, that uh, talk about 70 and 80. And here's a man that didn't begin ministry till he was 80, right? He wrote the first five books of the Bible. When did he have time to do that? He pastored a, a large megachurch, right? And you talk about a pastor having a difficult time with his congregation. Uh, if you think it gets a little tough in ministry, you just need to read about Moses. You know, he made a few mistakes. But God was honored by all that he did, and God blessed him. So when did he write the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible? Well, the first part he was in, in Egypt getting a secular education. The next part he was working for his father-in-law, tending to the sheep, and getting him a wife and some children. God met him at the burning bush and said, I've got a message for you. You're going to go down to Egypt and you're going to deliver my people. So he went. So my thought to you is, when did he have time to write Psalm 90? Much less the Pentateuch. Uh, the dude was busy, right? He was busy. Much less trying to keep up with all the problems that those folks gave him. Ray Charles said, live every day like it's your last because one day you're going to be right. And so that is the teaching of Psalm 90, is to remind us about our years. Uh, a fellow that I went to classes with, uh, some in SFA, died yesterday. His name was Spike Dykes. If you know anything about high school base, uh, football and college uh, football in the last 50 years in Texas, 
You know that Spike Dykes was an important man. Uh, he came to SFA. I'm not sure where he was before. He had played football before, but I know we were in some education classes together. And uh, Spike was a unique guy. He was a West Texas guy all the way, much like myself. And uh, he passed away at the age of 79. He was more like James and Joanne's uh, birth date. They, they're about three months younger than me. And that was he was born in March also, Spike Dykes was, and passed away. Notice Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, I'm reading from the King James. You read whatever you got, and we'll be good together. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as sleep in the morning. They are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale or a story that is told. The days of our our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off. And we fly away. You didn't think I'll fly away was a biblical song, did you? I've heard people make disparaging remarks about that old southern gospel song. But it is right here. And we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. The clincher verse is verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts Unto wisdom. Notice first, if you would, the admonition of verses 1 and 2, or the admonition of verse 12. And the admonition, the last verse, is set against the backdrop of verses 1 and 2, which describes the eternal nature of God. God is eternal, God is supernal, God is all that He is. Then there are a series of contrasts that show us as human beings how brief and uncertain is our life. He says in verse 4, it is like a watch in the night. A watch in the night was a four-hour shift. And I don't know if you've ever had a job that you had to work overnight or you had to keep guard. Joanne has But the last four hours before daybreak seem to be very long uh, because that is in the deep of the night. I remember as a boy having a a job on the farm, and it was an irrigation farm out at Seminole, Texas, on the the border with New Mexico. And uh, I had to spend a few nights out there alone by myself. And at a set time, I had to go move the canvas in the ditch, set it, and bring tubes over 
the ditch to irrigate the cotton. And uh, those were lonely hours. I never did like those particular hours. I'd, my choice of those hours were spent in deep sleep. Verse 5 talks about life is like a flood. Now, uh, I think they talked to Tony Cleaver a while ago, and he said in Bell County, Texas, they had 11 inches overnight. Well, they're going to have some flooding down in there, and uh, what was not a flood before will be a flood. But our, our lives are like a flood. It comes with a force and, and uh, destroys that that is in its way, but uh, then it is gone. Verse 5 talks about life as a dream in the night. You ever dream any at night? Well, when you get older, you dream and, you know, you think you've been dreaming all night, but we're told that a dream only lasts a a few seconds, a few minutes at the most. Uh, I'm not an interpreter of dreams and especially my own. I like to forget them because sometimes they're closer to nightmares than they are just to dreams. Uh, And so I don't have any spirit-influenced dreams quite often, but God has spoken to me, I think, uh, sometimes in those thoughts that come to the mind, while uh, your mind is at re- while your body is at rest, verses five and six uses the illustration: life is like grass; it grows well in the daylight, but then it is soon cut down and uh, and withereth. It is here; it blossoms; it's going good, and then it is gone. I had a funeral on Saturday for one of my men who was 80. He turned 80 in December. And then before we did the funeral at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, I got word that another church member who would have been 93 in May had passed away in the hospital in Mount Pleasant. And I thought about the last time I was scheduled to speak at chapel I had a cousin that died in Leveland, and I had to call the Holmes and say, you know, I apologize, but I've got to go uh, help my family and do a funeral out there for, for my cousin. So I, the first thing that hit my mind was they're going to schedule that service for Tuesday, and I'm going to have to call in and say I can't do it again, and Charlie will never have me back because I'm, I'm very, very, in, uh, you know, not dependable at all. And so... Uh, but the funeral is going to be on Friday, Good Friday, at the cemetery. So that worked out well. Verse 9, as a tale that is told, a story that is told, life. Then Moses reminds us of the years of our lives. The days of our years in verse 10 are 70, three score. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for is soon cut off and we fly away. The average average lifespan in America is 77.6, I'm told. And uh, as I said in my introduction, I have a difficulty really understanding Moses saying, 70 and 80, and hey, he just started his ministry at 80. Uh, and he didn't say anything about 120. Uh, but he was writing that for our benefit today.
Most of you are aware what this is. I've got, I need to put it back in a church van. And I was looking for an object and I said, where am I going to come up with something like this? And it dawned on me, you got it right, you know, you should have already attached it back where it belongs. But what is this thing? A rear view mirror. A rear view mirror. You know, in safety teaching about driving, they say you are to look in your rear view mirror every three to five seconds. Now, you, this is the one that goes on the windshield. You got most cars have those uh, on either side. And uh, it's, it's difficult to remember to look in the rear view mirror sometimes, isn't it? You get, get to listen to the radio and... Then all of a sudden you look in the rearview mirror and somebody's right on your bumper. You know, if you drive in the Metroplex where I live, you got to keep one eye on the road to the side, each side got to keep one eye on the road and head and one, on, one eye on the back. And so the eyes get a little confused about where all this action is taking place. Uh, well, you're looking at a man who is nearing his 80th birthday. I know I don't look it, thank you. But I know, I'll, I don't remember much about the date of my birth. But I was told, and uh, it was sort of unique. Uh, my mother and daddy lived in this little house next to the big house, and we had people coming in to harvest the crops. We had to move in with my older uncle and his wife and their daughter. So I'm told. And the doctor and nurse come out the evening before because they thought it was about time. They had to spend the night because, as my daddy said, you started out stubborn and you never got over it. But, but I wasn't ready until the next morning out there in West Texas in the middle of a cotton field. Did have a house. At age 80, I haven't quit looking forward. But more and more I find myself looking in the rearview mirror because I know there are a lot more days that have passed than there are in the future. I'm, I'm way past the midpoint life, right? And you don't know too many people who will have lived 160, much less 120, like Moses did. As we reflect about the rearview mirror, we need to know our history. We need to know what is behind us. Six things I want to share with you that I've learned in my nearly 80 years. Number one, the most important things in life are not things. The most important things in life are not things. What are they? People, family, children. Health, friends, your faith. Major on the majors. I read this story about a philosophy instructor in college who brought some objects in to teach a lesson. One of them was a very large mayonnaise jar. And he showed the students the jar and then he had a basket of golf balls. And he put the golf balls in the jar until they wouldn't hold any more golf balls. And he asked the students, do you think the jar is full? And they all said yes. He had a container of small gravel. 
and he poured the gravel over the golf balls. He shook it up. They settled down in there. You think it's full? They all said yes. He took a container of sand and poured it in that mayonnaise jar and shook it around and it all settled in the jar. Is it full? Yes. He had two cups of coffee under the stand. Some of you have heard this. And he took those two cups of coffees and dumped them and, of course, absorbed by the sand. Is it full? They said yes. And one young lady back in the, in the group said, but what about the two cups of coffee? What does that mean? That means... You need to major on the major things with the golf balls. The more important things. Then you have the little things like the gravel. Then you have sand, which are those day-by-day little things. But always take time to have a cup of coffee with a friend. Always take time to be with others. The second thing, all glory is fading. All glory is fading. I was thinking the other day about sending my copy of my license ordination to Brother Paul White, and I said, where in the world is my father's license and ordination? I guess I have it packed away. When we, uh, my, I asked my siblings, and they, they're accusing me of being the treasurer of that, and I don't know. You know, it's been packed away. My father died in 95, and my mother died in 2003 so sometime in that period of time we took it off of his little office wall there in in the home and it's tucked away Paul Powell tells a story about a a guy that was a a, a medical doctor for many years in Tyler and uh, uh, his wife had died a long time ago he had uh, had uh, Alzheimer's had been in the facility a long time, and the house had been sold. All everything about it had been gone. And he said, "I did the funeral for this uh, doctor." And after the service, a lady came by, and she said, "I have his certificate, uh, his doctorate, in a frame." And he said, "Well, how did you get that?" He, she said, "I was in a restaurant somewhere in the Tyler area." And I saw it leaning up the wall, and I looked at that, and I said, where did you get that? I paid 75 cents for it at a yard sale. Well, how much would you take for it? And she said, you can just have it. It's not worth anything. All glory shall fail. When you get down to the second or third generation, you know, I tell my wife all the time, we got to get rid of a bunch of stuff because our kids don't want it. Nobody else wants it. It never will have the endearment that it is to us. Uh, my treasures are not junk. They're junk to somebody else. And what is uh, junk may have been treasures that somebody else had. All glory is fading. Remember, you too shall pass. Remember also that soon you may be forgotten. Number three, even if you have a pain, you don't have to be a pain. 
Some people will tell you about every little pain they have. And I'm amazed at people who bear all their problems on Facebook. Physically, mentally, everything. I mean, if, if they had something to happen during the night, they got to put it on Facebook. You know, if they got a, a little toenail hanging or whatever, it's on Facebook. Can you imagine all that that we have today? Now, is Brother Shaw here? Now, he posted, and I, I was aware of that because it's getting time, and I was like you, brother. I put off some term papers. I burned the midnight oil. So when I read that, I suffered with you, brother, because I'd been there and done that. Who's your professor for that class? I, well, he's tough, so I'm glad you got it in, Dr. Parsons. When was the deadline? Oh, okay, yeah. I've been there and done that. I'm glad you met, met, met the deadline. And I prayed for you. His family was in the church I pastored in First Baptist Red Oak, so we go back a long ways together. And so as friends, I keep up with that new baby, you know, and all things that are going on in his life. But I noted that and I said, man, I've sure been there. Number four, only God is in a position to look down on anyone. Only God is in a position to look down on anyone. In your ministry, do not put anybody down. I got a call yesterday from a young man that I had befriended uh, that was doing apartment house ministry uh, in the apartment house uh, apartment houses next door to our church. And he was also bivocational. He was doing upholstery work. And one day he came by and told me he was going to go to seminary at Southern in Louisville, Kentucky. So I followed him. I'm on Facebook with him and kind of followed him. And so his name is Joe Schmidt. And he called me yesterday on my cell phone. And I didn't get to it right away. And I just dialed back. And he said, hello? And I told him, I said, I got a call from you. He said, yeah, I'm Joe Schmidt. Do you remember me? I said, yes. He said, well, you know, I have you in, in, in my address book, and I wanted to give you a call. I'm doing uh, youth work at a church outside of Louisville, and we have a pastor who's a revitalization pastor, and uh, he's found himself in deep water. He went to, he's initiating some of those changes. Now, supposedly he's been there a pretty good while, and he's not a he's not a child anymore. You know, he's forty years, been in ministry a while, uh, but it was a church, and so I'm not sure what all was going on, going on. But he was getting some flack from some older members, so he went to visit a family, and uh, he kind of nettled the man who was uh, having a problem uh, physically, and he said, oh, "Brother." What really is the nature of this problem that you have? And I don't know that that was his tone of voice. I just, I just know what happened. And he said, well, they gave me six months to live. Well, he went on back, and before long, his phone was ringing because the grandson was a chairman of deacons and said, you have offended 
You have offended my grandmother because you asked too much personal information uh, about the situation. And so he went ahead to tell me that the deacons are getting together and they're thinking about calling for his resignation and, and all those kind of things. And I said, well, brother, I don't have all the answers. I just know I'll be praying for you and for them. But he just wanted, he just wanted some help and, uh, in prayer. And I don't know why he called me, but anyway, I tried to help him the best I could. Love people. You've got, you got, you got tough people to deal with sometimes. But you got to love them. That's what God told us to do. If we're going to be a shepherd, we got to, we got to love the wayward as well as those who are obedient. I'm the, I'm the principal of a school at our church, a daycare, and, and, uh, and, and we deal with all kinds of, uh, uh, children, and some of them are lovable all the time, and some of them are unlovable all the time. <laughs> I, I wipe snotty noses, I, sh- I, I tie shoelaces, I, I do a little bit of everything to show a child that we love them. I have boys that need a male figure in their lives. I try to be that to them as much as I can. Now, I'm talking about all colors, okay? I'm talking about we have people that have come to us from Africa, from the Middle East. Uh, We have a mission field, Hispanics. We have all kinds right there in the city of Ulysses, a city of 50,000 people. you got to love them. The fifth thing I want to share with you is a biblical truth. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, remove not the ancient landmarks. We as BMA Baptists have been labeled landmarkers. Well, I have resented that a little bit at times, but I love this statement now because it stands for something. A landmark was a stone that designated the property lines back in the Old Testament. And God gave provisions in the Mosaic Law. Bad, bad crime for you to remove a a stone that was a a landmark. Not too many years ago, I just, I just got this uh, as a, as a a part of Facebook about two weeks ago from a lady friend of mine who is a a professor at South Arkansas University. She's from uh, Spring Hill. Her father was a physician. She's a member at Central Baptist Church uh, in competition with the church I pastored at First Baptist. No, we were laborers together. It was a story about the tsunami that hit on the coast of Japan and uh, 600 miles up and down that coast. The story was told that for years people had known that stones had been placed going back before the first of the century to the last great tsunami. And those stones said, if you build to the ocean past those stones, you're treading on dangerous ground. This tsunami went up to those stones up and down the coast. You see, people forget after a period of time. Remove not the ancient landmarks. 
You're getting good instruction at this institution. Stand firm on the word of God. Stand firm on the word of God because it is vital and necessary along the way. Number six, when we die, it's more important to leave a testimony than a title. It's more important to leave a testimony than a title. All the things that we may have done cannot be compared to our relationship with people along the way. And I'm always glad to hear from former church members and stay in touch with them and to know about their lives. In closing, in looking in the rearview mirror, I remind you that life is not a dress rehearsal. You don't get two chances. This is the real thing, and we only get one shot at it. My wife and I will celebrate if the Lord tarries and leaves us here. We will celebrate our 59th anniversary in August. The last couple of years have been a little trying. My wife has been diagnosed with vascular dementia. I have become a caregiver. And uh, she's still, in many ways, very functional, for which I am thankful. The doctor finally said to me, "Uh, you're not handling your sugar well enough with pills and diet and exercise, so I'm going to put you on on insulin. So every day I prick my finger twice a day. Every evening I stick a needle in my side one way or the other, you know. But it's because of the amazing grace of God I'm here, right? God loves me and he cares for me. And so we have to be prepared. There are going to be valleys in our lives. Some of them pretty deep valleys. And we want to ask, as Job did, uh, you know, why? And God doesn't mind us asking why. He doesn't always give us reasons, but he always gives us assurance. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The poet C.T. Studd put it best. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I pray that you've heard a few words from this old man. As I have looked in my rearview mirror and shared a little bit with you, I've still got a lot to learn. I'm still trying to learn. I still try to keep my mind open to the world that is around me. And I pray that you'll be open. Some of you here are struggling. I came here in 60 to go to seminary. I went to work with Safeway Grocery down in town. I took a full load. It sounds like walking to school and walking in the snow 10 miles up, uphill all the way and back. Uh, but it's, it's the truth. I, I, I struggled because I was working full time. I had a new baby. And, I did, you know, by the time I was in the second year, we had another son. But I was working full time, taking a full load here, 
And I had some of those 7 o'clock classes. I don't know. Some ungodly person devised 7 o'clock classes for seminary back in those days. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, one year I had uh, I moved over to Clayton to be full time. $50 a week, I think, whatever it was back in those days. But uh, I had the privilege of riding uh, over on Tuesdays and Wednesdays with Dr. Dorman. Not Dr. Dorman, Dr. Duggar. And he was not a doctor then. He was just Pastor Duggar. And he was much older and wiser than me. And whoever was driving uh, would have the benefit of the passenger going over the lesson for that day. So we didn't waste any time at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, he would come to Clayton and, and either go in my car or his car. And we learned lessons along the way. Don't give up. Finish the task. Don't give up. God's got a plan for your life. And don't give up. Stay there so one day you can look with pride upon the fact I persevere. May God bless you.